Welcome to another edition of the Chip and Gary Tennis Show. Uh, unfortunately, Chip Hooper's not here, and he would probably really like to be here on this telecast because uh, uh, he actually used to play tennis with the fellow that I'm going to interview. And I'll just tell a little bit about when I first met this fellow before we talk about who it is. Is I finished playing tennis at the University of Texas and went out on the tour for a little bit and then came back and decided to finish my degree. And Coach Dave Snyder was gracious enough to give me the assistant coaching job at the University of Texas. And he recruited four really good players, mostly from the state of Texas, actually, which is kind of a throwback to the way it was in the early days of Texas when Wilmer Allison only recruited Texas players. So. We had this bevy of boys coming in, and I was a youngster that didn't really know much about administrative coaching tennis, and but had these uh, guys that were really good players that came in, but there was one fella, and uh, he wasn't the best player. Uh, Mr. Paul Crozier, I think, was the top recruit nationally, uh, but this fella was... Uh, he looked like an Adonis. There were a few guys that were built when they came in just like football players. For example, when I was in the training table at the University of Texas with Kevin Curran and some of these athletes and Steve Denton, uh, you know, everybody said, well, man, uh, that guy must be a golfer. That guy must be a tennis player because he's not built like a football player. And Steve Denton, of course, they thought was a manager for the basketball team or something because there's no way that he was one of the athletes. But as it turned out, he got to 11 in the world. But anyway, this fella, this fella had calves like Forrest Simmons or Rod Laver or some of the people that I really identified with. And he wasn't the best player on our team, but he was a very good player. But uh, his name was Craig Carden, and he was from Dallas, Texas, and uh, that's who I'm welcoming to the show right now. I'm not going to tell you that he's coached uh, some of the very best tennis players that uh, the world's seen, you know, afterwards, uh, after his career, but uh, I want to welcome to the show Craig. Craig, how are you doing these days? I'm good, Gary. Thanks. That was a uh, interesting introduction. <laughs> well, that's the way we do it here. You know, Chip's not here, you know, so he would have some yeah. good things to say because I, I'm sure you guys had some battles through the years because you're the same age. Um, but uh, Craig, well, he's tell he's a year older, and uh, we had one battle, actually, a memorable battle. Where was that? That was at Wimbledon qualifying, and I believe it was 1983, uh, the last year that Wimbledon was white tennis balls. Is that and right? It, yeah, I, I think it was second or third round qualities. Um, it was last round, I, I believe, and, and Chip, you know, he's been up already in, in the rankings, but uh, I guess I hear he just missed a cut, had to play qualities, wasn't happy about it. And on Roehampton, you know, those courts are like a cow pasture. And uh, I remember one time he, one point, he hit a second serve and it hit in 
inside the service line and then bounced over the fence. The guy had an incredible. So, the guy had incredible serving skills, didn't he? He, he did. Have, yeah. And you had he to had play him on grass. On bad grass. Oh god. Yeah. So yeah, no, I didn't sniff a break point. That could have been the. But it was like I think it was like set five, six two or seven six six two. I, you know, you have to ask Chip. Uh, he probably wouldn't even remember playing me. Well, he could have remembered you because he knows who you are, obviously. And uh, one year, he, I don't know if it was the year he qualified, but he, he took out Peter McNamara, the number eight seed, rest in peace. I hate it. I yeah. used to work out with Peter in the old days a little bit. And no, what a I, nice I'd fellow. seen Peter recently in China, and I, I'd seen him on the tour quite a bit. So it was a bit of a shock to hear of his passing, but... Uh, Rest in peace, Peter. Yeah, exactly. And his girl, uh, Wong, who's, who he coached, is doing amazing at the U.S. Open right now. I believe she plays. In the quarterfinals. She plays tonight. That's right. Well, that she does. Uh, she that's, plays Serena. Well, we're we're going to get into some of that because you've coached some of the great uh, women players to play the game, starting out with Martina Natralova. But before that, I want to talk a little bit because I remember. Did you win the, uh, you won a tournament, either the Cotton Bowl or, or got to the finals against Talbot Davis, the great Dallas player, And but how did you actually get to the University of Texas? Well, the Cotton Bowl was kind of a tournament that out of nowhere, I kind of, uh, I don't know, as a junior, I beat Chris Huff, who was nationally ranked, and Talbot, a few other players, and it was on these fast, uh, it was played on basketball court, actually. And, uh, you know, with a wood racket, um, I don't know, Gary, how I did it, but it just kind of happened. Was that and, at those fast courts down at that apparel market or wherever in Dallas? Yeah, where it was the, the national indoors building. was played? Yeah. It was the automobile building where they had all the cars during the fair, uh, fair park, state fair. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I got better as a junior. Um, didn't really know my own skills, really, but was kind of thrown into uh, T-Bar-M, you know, the upper scale club with the better players. And... I enjoyed beating the crap out of them after I they beat the crap out of me for a while. And uh, I was practicing with Bill Scanlon, Martina, uh, when I was in high school, just barely. And uh, I got a call from University of Houston, Texas A&M, and was actually offered a full scholarship from both of those two. And something about... Texas. I, I, the coach and Austin, uh, just the university in general, but mainly the coach. I knew that Coach Snyder would basically, you know, improve me as a, not only as a player, but as a person. I trusted him. Just some instinctive thing that I really liked about the whole situation. And it wasn't a full scholarship either, which my dad did not 
enjoy. But, you know, he said, go where you want to go. And I didn't want to go outside Texas. Well, you so, had four. You had, had a lot of players come in at the same time, and so he had to split those scholarships yeah. up, I remember. But um, that was an interesting uh, group of characters when you think of Gavin Forbes and uh, oh, yeah. Paul Crozier <laughs> and uh, Ted Irk and Guillermo Stevens. I mm-hmm. mean, you guys had a uh, interesting group of guys and uh just to let the uh listeners know craig later went on which we'll talk about a little bit later but started out uh after he played the pro tour for a time um getting enlisted as the the coach for martina natralova when in her later years and i think billy jean king had something to do with that and along the way uh mary pierce and xavier melise and coco vanderway and and i'm sure a lot in between but uh, craig's been a, a premier coach and it just tickles me because i always admired him as a person and uh you know, he was, uh, you know, always capable of beating anybody because at that time it seemed you and Gavin and uh, Paul and all those guys, you know, you guys were close in ability levels. Uh, so you could really interchange and play anywhere in the lineup. But you guys seemed to have a real good time in college. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Tell me about Gavin. Tell tell me about we we'll talk about you later, but tell me about Gavin Forbes. He's carved out quite a career for himself, hasn't he? Well, he certainly has. Uh I remember Gavin and I got put on a trip and were have to uh room together. Uh, right away, and he'd come from South Africa. I think he did a year in the Army, so he was a, a year or two older than me. That's right. Um, but we just kind of got on well as friends, and, uh, you know, Gavin's dad, Gordon Forbes, was a uh, world-class player and wrote a couple of books from South Africa. Yes, Gor- and, Gordon. Uh, Gordon. Uh-huh. Uh, Gavin grew up um, you know, in Johannesburg, you know, around these amazing people. And so Gavin had a way of words, and we had quite a good time in college. And uh, Gavin's dad, very good friends with Mark McCormick of IMG. And Gavin got his degree in finance um, and then went on to work for IMG. And through the years, Gavin and I had worked together. He managed Mary Pierce, Jim Courier, Pete Sampras, Jennifer Capriotti in their early years. And so I went on to coach a couple of those players. Yeah, that's it. Had to to negotiate my contract with Gavin, funny enough. (laughs) So that was was a little difficult. Was it? Um, Yeah, sure, yeah. I'm you sure know, it I mean, was. You just gotta look out for the players' best interest, but they know that we're friends, so you know it, it was tough. 
Yeah, Gavin, Gavin comes from a real bloodline of tennis people. Gordon Forbes, who you mentioned, wrote one of his books, A Handful of Summers, that was a, a book Hilarious. that chronicled Hilarious. The, the tour back in the old days, in the 60s. And uh, Gordon won the South African Championships. I know that because I have a bevy of uh, world tennises from the late 50s, early 60s. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, Gavin's uncle, Cliff, Drysdale, who had a, oh, yeah. bi- a big hand in ha- getting Kevin Curran to Texas, and then Gavin, and kind of having a little South African connection there, was, you know, uh, a, a, just a, a fantastic time because I remember at when Lakeway, yes, Cliff Cliff was at Lakeway, and 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 Gavin came in, and uh, very interesting. And then you know, I guess uh, was it. Uh, Gavin's, you know, the Forbes sisters were, there were a couple of sisters that were great tennis players. I think one who originally married Cliff, and so they they really had South Africa kind of locked Jean up. Drysdale, yeah. Uh-huh. Now, what yeah. about... What what about what about some of the other members of your team? Doug Crawford, Andy Zode, and uh, Paul Crozier, uh, those guys. What? Uh, well, Paul, yeah, I, I kept in touch with pretty much everybody. Um, Paul Crozier, haven't talked to recently, but he's a he's an accountant by trade. He does some financial planning in a big scale. Lives in Austin. Um, Andy Zoden, as you know, the mouth, the creech, as we called him, he had a fro bigger than anybody. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't call him that. You must, you must be. Well, wrong. we call him the creature. Anyway, the creature. Andy Zoden has a radio show called Kickserve Radio, and um, uh, he's out of Denver, Colorado. And he spent a long time pro at Columbine Country Club, who I, I went up and worked for him as assistant coach, and it kind of like is everything going full circle because he's head of the Intermountain and USPTA and just done a great job. You know, you say kick serve radio, but he's interviewing John McEnroe and Mats V. Lander and, and, and Federer. And, oh, called him yes. out because he didn't do his homework. <laughs> oh, Cup, which oh was is one that of right? The funniest moments. Yeah, he said something about Davis Cup and, and Andy being Andy did, had not done the research, proper research. He was so excited about being involved in the press conference. That surprises me. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so Doug Crawford uh, is in Fort Worth uh, teaching. Uh, I think he's head of a school there. Uh, Johnny Levine actually recently got back involved in tennis uh, through my connections. We had a tournament here at the Four Seasons uh-huh. Resort and Club in Dallas where I work. And um, we had uh, a challenger tournament. Johnny had expressed interest in getting involved with that and so I helped him out put him in touch with the right people and then he ran with it and so he owns a a challenger tournament now in Phoenix, Arizona called the Phoenix Ted Irk is um, involved in the Houston Tennis Association and uh, very active uh, with Houston Tennis and Doug Snyder um does a lot with the Longhorns down there. 
actually I was recently involved in um, the search for the coach, the men's coach and women's coach not too long ago, but that didn't actually pan out the way I wanted it to, but that's okay. And uh, Now you're talking yeah, so about really, you're talking about Doug Snyder who is also the son of Coach Dave Snyder who was your coach in college. Right. Yeah. And uh, also yeah. I might might mention Johnny Levine because Johnny Levine not only is running that tournament, but Johnny Levine was probably one of the all-time greatest uh, tennis Longhorns uh, in history. Because Besides Kevin Kern, yourself, Steve Bryan, as well, is down there. Mm-hmm. Another uh, NCAA champ. What I was getting to is that Johnny Levine, when Michael Pernfor, I think, won his second championship, Johnny had him on yeah. the ropes at Georgia, which was Pernfor's home courts and uh, up a set and a break and, and couldn't hold on, but was very close. And uh, Pernforce went on and won very easily in the finals. But uh, Johnny Levine was a hair from being another NCAA tennis champion at Texas. Uh, oh, absolutely. Johnny was a great player. He, great player. What was so good about him? I mean, he was tenacious, wasn't he? <laughs> Well, Johnny is a small, uh, smaller guy. He knew he was a baseliner and very mentally sound. Um, he developed a really more powerful serve and overhead because he got physically stronger. Oh, is that right? I didn't do, know that. Yeah, yeah. He used to do pull-ups. You know, Gary, underneath the Penick Allison courts, there was that one bar. Oh yeah. That hung. Yeah. You remember that, right? I do. Okay, Johnny used to every almost every day he would just pull himself up on that bar, and nobody really paid much attention, but I did, and he used to do pull-ups. Because he he kind of thought he was a small guy and just felt like he needed to get more upper body strength. Uh-huh. <laughs> but if you remember, I mean, Johnny had a great overhead and a really good first serve. So I, I remembered the ground strokes. I remember the ground strokes, Craig, but I didn't remember that he got this. You know, the big serve and overhead. I know he was quick as he could it be. It wasn't a big. It wasn't a big serve. But his overhead was really good. Not that you saw it too much, because he didn't really venture up to the net that much. <laughs> but he, but above his head, he was perfectly comfortable. He's a guy that could have been. He's a guy that could have been top twenty in the world if he. I think if he'd gone. I don't, I, not top twenty mentally. He's not that sound. Oh, but, is that right? Um, <laughs> No, come on, John. John I don't know. The guy was tough, Craig. <laughs> he's very tough. I just say him personally, not not to. He's just he's just a funny kid, you know. Well, well but hope, he, he could have been top fifty for uh-huh. sure. Okay. Well, you you know better than I do. You're out there on the tour. Well, how so? So you played this college tennis at Texas, and then you played the tour for a little bit. You got in the top, I don't know, hundred or two hundred. But how did you get into coaching exactly? Well, I had been uh, hitting with Martina since high school, and um, every once in a while she'd come through Dallas, and if I was there. You know, she'd always call. She would always call. I mean, through her coaches, I think she had let them know that I was a 
you know, decent hit in Dallas. And uh, when I stopped playing, I took an assistant job at the Four Seasons Resort and Club in Irving, where the Byron Nelson was, the golf tournament. And her coach at the time was Tim. And so we were practicing quite a bit. And who was her coach? She me one day. Who was her said, coach? Oh, Tim can't do it. Tim Gullickson. Tim Gullickson. Yeah. May he rest in peace. Great guy. Great. Phenomenal coach. Absolutely. And um, so I've been there maybe six, eight months from stopping the tour. And she wanted to hire me as her coach. Hitting partner slash coach. At the time, she said, I don't need a coach. I need someone on the road to hit with me. Well, I'm not going to go on the road just to hit with you. <laughs> Basically is what I told her. And, um, but so she said, okay, coach me. And we agreed to a deal. I left the club and within two, three months, I knew I was kind of over my head just with where she was in her career. Number two in the world, but Steffi and Monica and Jennifer coming late uh, later were, you know, they're right on her heels. And she was used to winning a lot. And, uh, you know, I did the best I could. I, my instincts were pretty good, but, you know, I'm young. I'm 26 years old, just off the tour. Um, so I ran into Billie Jean King in Hilton Head in 89. And I said, look, I need some help. And so she talked to Martina and basically told her that, you know, she would help as long as I was still involved. So that's how it began. Boy, that's a that's and that's I, a real compliment to you that she would help as long as you're involved. Absolutely. And to this day, Billy Jean supports me. I mean, I coach her team, Philadelphia Freedom, and I've I've been with the league for. 15, 17 years. And you, you just were awarded the coach of the year in the uh, world team tennis ranks, so congratulations yeah. on that, because you would not Thanks. say that'll, that. That'll give me a cup of coffee. Well, I need a cup of coffee too, old chum, but let's go back a little yeah. bit and kind of go, yeah. I, I mentioned Mary Pierce, and I, you know, a lot of the viewers know who yeah, Mary, Mary Pierce, Pierce is. Yeah, Mary Pierce was interesting. Uh, now that was That after, was one of my better, um, there, there were two really really um, fun and I felt like I made a big, big impact on their career right away was Mary and um, Xavier Melise. Uh, Melise was well Mary was before that uh, 95 90, 96 90, 97 maybe and um she was about 15, 20 in the world, and we had a great run, and she was ended of the year like five in the world, and then went on to win the French Open after I had quit to go full-time with the USTA when they were starting the coaching program, to not travel as much, this and that, but again, through the years, Mary had hired me a couple more times, 
and uh, we had a great relationship. I still keep in touch with her to this day. She just got inducted to the Hall of Fame. That's right, she did. That's she invited right. me, invited me to go, and unfortunately, I couldn't go because of team tennis. But uh, you know, she's she's a special one. That um, you know, you, you coach different players through the years, but uh, sometimes you don't keep in touch as much. But she's one that I do keep in touch with. Xavier Melissa same. I worked with him for two weeks, and then he made the semifinals of Wimbledon. Yeah, that's not a lot of people. Stevenson as well. That's right. Same thing. A lot of a lot of people might not remember Xavier, but he was, I believe, the number one player in the world from Switzerland, if I'm not mistaken. Belgium. Belgium. Okay, and uh, and then he had kind of uh, done well, and then he he sunk down low, and you got him got him there, and you got him back, didn't you? Well, he was 19 years old, and he was up and coming. He was ranked. 80 to 60 or something like that. But Adidas bet big on him and IMG as well. And I'd just been with him a couple weeks and he only shows up at Wimbledon. Here's this kid with kind of marginal hygiene and a ponytail and a beard. And uh, he won a couple matches and he says, I'm not going to wash my hair until I lose. I thought, okay, well, I hope your hair is standing on end at, at the end. He had a lot of but, hair, too, didn't he? Oh, yeah, he did. How about yeah, that? I remember the That's semifinals fun. before the match. He just pulled his hair back, and he said, watch this. He pulled it back, and it just stuck all together. <laughs> Who did he <laughs> lose to? Who did he oh, lose to? Oh, my God, he, he lost, and... And he was all upset, and I said, you know what the good news is? He said, what's that? I said, you can wash your effing hair. <laughs> <laughs> Who did he lose to in that match, Craig? Now Bandian. I remember seeing you in the stands in those sunglasses, and uh, I felt really <laughs> proud about that. No, and, uh, that, you know, and Xavier was up two sets, two sets to one, four one, with a forehand in the middle of the court, had like 30 love and he missed that forehand and that was it and then he had some heart palpitations he he had arrhythmia that uh, was not diagnosed at the moment at that moment so he had to go off court and it was a big to do uh, he came back on and um, as history has it you know proceeded to losing five sets well well, and then on, you, but, went, uh, you, you went on to Alexandra Stevenson after that. Uh, that was before. Alexander was before. Actually, 1999. I see. Yeah, same kind of deal where USTA asked me to help her because Ray Ruffles was helping her, and uh, he was ill at the moment. So I took over for the grass court season and she had literally no ranking but just this raw talent lab athletic ability great serve great back great forehand backhand one-handed backhand and um yeah i don't know what happened what inspired her but she just went on a tear she played 
Koalas in Birmingham, quarterfinals, and then played Koalas of Wimbledon and made semifinals. Well, you know, you have coached... And then turned pro. And turned pro after that. And and after that, yeah. you've, you've coached Coco Vanderway, and you've coached a lot of the, the, the women pros. What what are you seeing? Is there anything different on the tour today in the women's game that there was when you were coaching, say, Mary and Alexandra? Uh, different in what sense? Well, just the, the, the actually, I guess, the strategy of the game, the way they play, if there's more shaping of the ball, more top spin, it's obviously a more of a fitness, it seems like, the, the fitter and the the athletes get stronger and better, but what about the strategy itself? Has that remained the same? Um, no, a little different. I mean, the fitness had, had already becoming part of the game, uh, but the ball striking ability, at least on the women's side, is a lot like the girls who can can produce a technically sound, you know, shot off the forehand and backhand with the with the power are going to be more successful. And the strategy has changed a bit to where the better players, even even some of the mid level players, have adapted to that power and they can be a pain in the ass to some of the top players on a given day you look at a Strakova a Pong Shui a Suwei you know some of these counter punchers who don't quite have the power that the top players have and we're seeing it now like a Svitolina here you know in the quarterfinals um, she's a counter puncher you know she's not going to generate a lot of power not a big serve but she possesses that mental skill and the hand, the eye-hand coordination of just to absorb the power and work the court, work the geometry a little bit better, you know, combining some short angles with some deep down the line backhands. <clears throat> you know, I find that on the women's game, the girls who have the best down the line backhands are going to be more successful. And then I guess you would have to throw Halep in that as one of one of the great counter punchers, or would you say that I, I know she's got power no, too? But, but no, definitely. Halep has been awesome. I, I was surprised. I mean, I've coached Taylor Townsend for five years in World Team Tennis and seen her grow up. I know her game well. And for Halep, I mean, kudos to Taylor for playing a great match. And I really love seeing her kind of flourish, finally live up to her potential. And I think she could be even better. But for Halep, a former number one, a top five player, to not hit even one or two successful lobs, just to keep getting, allowing herself to get pounded by this serving volley charge. But granted, you know, Taylor's got a great overhead. And so sometimes, you know, you lob once and you get stung with that power of the overhead, then you don't want to do it again. But uh, I, I was surprised to see the lack of change in um, ta 
tactics. I think uh, on the women's side, you see that a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe to the men's side, I think the uh, the guys kind of have, but they have that time to just play three out of five. Yeah, are you there? I'm I'm there. We had a little bit of a a, a glitch there oh, uh, for a second, but you know I, I see what you're saying with it being a two out of three. Uh, match it's a little quicker. One of the things that I've noticed with some of the young Americans is a little bit of a different change in the game. When you talk talking about Taylor Townsend, that's coming forward, Katie McNally, that yeah. was really coming forward oh, against yeah. Serena, and also being able to penetrate with a with a hard slice serve, you know, that keeps them off. And uh, I thought, you know, Taylor was coming in on a lot of things last night, and maybe, you know, the the thing about being aggressive is you got to do it at the right time and I think that's what Federer does so well but uh, you know when you're just running in there and, and getting past because the ground strokes are so good and the passing shots are so good and the rackets are so big and the courts are mm-hmm. so much slower you know with a little more grit in them it's it's tough to be offensive in the women's game isn't it with these big returns. It certainly is yeah and I mean there's a lot of open doors to you know the serve getting better. Yeah, I noticed you know, that in the women's, women's in the the men's game, the serves seem to be really good. In the women's game, it seems to be lacking, and I I really personally see a uh, a deficiency in second serves on the women's tour, which you know that's when, right. When yeah, you look I at mean, the it statistics, goes all the way down from the top. Probably uh, Serena has one of the best. Uh, Coco Coco has a great second serve. I mean, I would. I always told her, use your second serve first, you know, because she's able to hit that, you know, kick, that really kind of hard kick. Yeah, Coco is the only one, she's the only one that I've seen consistently since Stoser to be able to hit that second serve like we used to hit a little bit where you get that hard kick and it, it, it spins sideways rather than straight up. It, I see most of the yeah. second serves in women's tennis is just kind of a slice serve that goes in and get, I, get I it I remember, in Gary, that was a one tip that I've, I've gotten with my tennis over the years. You told me when I was a sophomore, I think, uh, your first year there, I was getting very upset and my second serve, and I think you said to me, just swing as hard as you do on your first serve. Just put more spin on it. Well, I believe in that. I think that you actually choke on your second serve. If you don't, if you can't swing all out, then something's wrong with your second serve because you don't have the technique right. And uh, uh, that's one of the things that intrigues me a bit because you see the men's game, you see a lot of kicks. And, you know, Roger Federer, for example, people may not pick this up, but when he hits a second serve, it's not just moving up, it's moving sideways as well because he's really getting the left side of the ball and being able to pull it with centripetal force, as we say if in physics. Cho- yeah, if he chooses, he can also hit kick. Yes, that's you right. Know, that's but, right. But, uh, right. The, the key is, like you said, being able to swing with the same racket head speed up at the top and be able to slice off of the ball, you know, at a, uh, at uh, nine o'clock or three o'clock or whatever, 
you know, being right left-handed. But being able to slice off that ball, come off the back with the same kind of control. Yeah, it's you know, it's actually the, the definition of centripetal force, not centrifugal, but centripetal force is being able to take an object from the outside of the radius and come in towards the middle, where on a kick serve that just kicks straight up, you're really just rolling from the back over the top. And so uh, that's one of the things that in my meager career really helped me because... <laughs> My second serve was, you know, at least as dangerous oh, as my first serve. the nastiest thing I've ever come across. Well, uh, for a guy uh, your height, and you, you actually had that smirk on your face because you knew, you knew what you could do. <laughs> it was, it was like, okay. Yeah, I don't mind missing the first serve because you're not going to like what's coming up next. Well, not only that, Craig, but that gives you confidence in your whole game. I'm I'm convinced that people like, uh, I can't pronounce his name, Zevarev, last night, double faulting yeah, all these uh, times, when you lose confidence and you're not going for it all the time, make it or miss yeah. it, that... Uh, that it, it just it just permeates throughout your whole game, you know, and that's why I think the serve, uh, other than just being the serve and the second serve, is it's just a statement of your your overall confidence. And if you don't have the serve, you know, no matter what else you've got, you know, it's it's always going to be dicey mentally for you. But uh, uh, anyway, Craig, I wanted to talk a little bit about what you've what you've done since, um, and I know you're continuously coaching individually these these uh, great players but you know you've been involved with uh, Billy Jean and World Team Tennis for a long time haven't you yeah yeah quite a yeah for years for years she's a good friend of mine personally anyway uh, besides tennis is that right so she's just one of my heroes for sure and uh and so you, you actually, she must think a lot of you because, uh, you know, Elton John did the song Philadelphia Freedom, which he didn't really put on an album, but I think he wrote and performed for Billie Jean. And, of course, she named her WTT team in Philadelphia where she started, I think, coaching them first, maybe, in addition to having the uh, running the tour. Um, for her to have you as the coach of the Freedoms, that says something for you, I would think. Well, it's a privilege for sure. Um, you know, I met Elton a couple of times, and uh, he he wrote that song in ten minutes in a shower. He told Billy. Is that right? And it was, yeah, yeah. He had been um, loving tennis. He's a tennis player, and he loves. Tennis and and him and Billy Jean are like uh, brother and sister. We're talking almost. about Elton. We're talking about Elton John here, folks. Elton, yes, Elton John. Yeah, and uh, he's been hanging around uh, Billy Jean's team when uh, Billy Jean and Larry started the World Team Tennis, and so that's how the song evolved, and uh, it became a hit. And, um, you know, Billie Jean wanted to keep the Philadelphia Freedoms team, the franchise, alive. And, um, you know, through our relationship, I was lucky enough to, uh, you know, be the coach. And to this day, 
I'm still the coach. So unless she tells me otherwise uh-huh. for next year. So she's the boss, obviously, and uh, any, any well, she's little. She's the boss of that team, but uh, they sold the league uh, to Fred Luddy and uh, Mr. Forget his first name, Davidson, Eric Davidson, out in Orange County. Uh, so they've invested a lot of money, and, it, and the league is growing to at least eight, I think, ten teams next year, and uh, you know maybe more, hopefully more in the future. Have you uh, have you given any El- any tips to Elton at all, or have you been out on the court with him at all? No, I have not been on the court with Elton, but I heard he's got a pretty bad temper. <laughs> Wow, that's funny. Uh, he was always a, a hero of mine, Elton. I really liked him. So, Craig, what what about now? Uh, you know, the WTT season's over. You got Coach of the Year. You just gonna uh, sit and retire on all your laurels that you've made, or are you, <laughs> no. you gonna keep no, on going? No, no, I'm, I'm. Yeah, I wish that was the case. Actually, I don't wish, but I want to be out coaching. I teach uh, a few people personally here around town uh, on the touring pro the four seasons so actually I got a lesson here coming up so I got to run but um, yeah, I'm out there almost every day at the four seasons when I'm home and then um, I've got a couple of people I'm talking to agents and whatnot we'll, we'll see what the uh, after the US Open sometimes you know there's some turnover here and there I'd like to get out there with another player on the tour well, I'm sure you will. That's kind of where I am. I'm sure you will. Well, Craig, thanks for spending some time with us today. We'll let you get to your, your lesson and uh, hope to catch up with you. And thanks for joining us on the Chip and Gary Show. Uh, what? I'm sorry Chip Hooper's not here to listen to any of this, but I'm sure yeah. he'll be he listening. Anything you want to tell Big Big Chip? Did he hit some big serves against you on that grass? Oh, yeah, he hit some big serves. He was a good player, wasn't he? Sorry to miss you, buddy. And uh, we'll get together soon. Next time, it'll be you and me. All right, Craig, thanks for your time today. Have a great day. Thank you, Gary. Great to catch up. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye.